You're listening to Direction with David Caldwell, a podcast committed to helping you grow your real estate business. Hey, everyone. Today, we're here with Dan Manginelli. There's a lot of things I can say about Dan. He's like a podcast host. He's written a couple books. I know him from the mortgage world. I know him from being a great coach, from being someone who has like an abundance of enthusiasm, someone who's just been a great business partner to me over the years. And we're going to dive into his career a little bit, a little bit about how he is leading people, how he helps people create and scale a culture of productivity. But where we're going to start today, because Dan is a wealth of knowledge in the mortgage world, and most people listening to this today are real estate professionals like myself, we're going to do a little bit of an outlook on the 2023 mortgage market, what Dan believes is going to happen, and then we're going to get in and talking about scaling productivity. What's up, Dan? Hey, what's going on, Dave? How are you doing? I was waiting for you know the, the whistles and bells and stuff to go off, but that's okay. I, I appreciate that. I, appreciate I told you, you, I don't I don't have like the cool intro like you. I don't have the whole team. I'm just in my office. You're in a studio. You know, it's it's funny that you know our relationship has been based off of what you just said as being in the real estate and the mortgage side, but it's actually groomed in so much more on the coaching and leading people to to new levels that has went to a whole different stratosphere. So thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, I I appreciate it. So. So anyway, let's 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 get into 2023 mortgage outlook real quick, and then we're going to transfer in. But I would be uh, an idiot not to ask for your advice or how maybe to give some of the team leaders or agents listening to the show just your outlook and what you would say to them and helping people move forward through this time of uncertainty. Man, it's it's one of those things where you wish you had a crystal ball, right? I mean, if we all had a crystal ball at a certain time when markets go in every which way, we'd buy as much real estate as we can. I mean, buying real estate, people want to do it at the bottom, right? I want to buy it. It's like buying Bitcoin at the bottom. You don't, you just don't know. You don't have that. And I wish that I had a crystal ball. I can give you my 36 years of experience being in the industry um, from owning properties, owning companies, doing different things. Um, you know, I, I, I just... I'm going to go in a long-winded way. You stop me, Dave, you know, anytime you feel like I'm, I'm going too far. But I just want to give everybody kind of the meat and potatoes, just the industry in a whole in 2023. I think that, you know, I just read something that Morgan Stanley expected the housing market to take like this dive in 2023. And I, it just makes no – they went through all the indexes and the anticipated, and they forecasted, you know, between June of 2022 – and all of next year, they forecast a 7% decrease, as we were talking about a little little bit earlier. But the crazy part to me is when you talk about decreases, you, you don't. it's like saying that the S&P is down today, but over a period of time, the wealth that's created off of that. I mean, the median sales price of existing homes are up 38% since March of 2020. To today, 38% nationally, existing homes are up 38%. And mortgage rates, so when you look at the other end, are up 300 basis points, which is 3%. So, in the, you know, the past, in the past eight months, it's been up. So the first time, we haven't seen anything like this on mortgage rates since the 80s to, you know, 80, 81, where they moved up so fast. So the combination of the two has caused, like, this affordability to deteriorate faster than, you know, any point in any time. But yep. I think that people miss this point, what I just said. If home sales nationally up 38% since March of 2020 – and you purchased a home or didn't purchase a home, and they're forecasted a 7% decrease, your appreciation from that period of time is still 31%. If I could put, if I have a $500,000 loan or a $500,000 house, where am I going to put $500,000 where I'm going to get a return 
in less than two years of 31% if they say by next year it's going to decrease. That's not going to happen. So, you know, in theory, mortgage rates should decline without, which will help the affordability increase. And inflation shows it slows a little bit and the financial conditions ease a little bit. You know, the also thing that's predicted for next year is the income growth. Um, as much as they were hoping that some of these indexes are coming out where it's showing more people are losing their jobs, it's up 4.4% over year after year, which will increase the affordability for people to buy homes at that time. And if home prices decline, and that word decline is a weird word because that's a perception of a lot of people that they want to wait till they come down to buy. But they are going to come down to buy just from sellers either getting a, an, another deal on the other side from the houses that they're selling. So affordability it will be depressurized by that period of time. Yeah, and you know what's interesting is as we are going into this period of rates getting more expensive, I talked to Tom a lot about how can we find any research that actually shows that affordability has created a housing crash? Like, could you ask David Childers that? And we couldn't find it. And if you look at your market, California, my market in Oregon, right. I kind of make the joke that like the Oregon market doesn't really care, about, or the California market doesn't really care about affordability. Because you guys had low affordability for a long time. We're in Portland, we have massive affordability when you look at NARS index as a comparison to California. Right. I think what affordability does do is it holds people in place, right? I'm not going to get out of my 3% mortgage to go get a 6% mortgage unless the property is fantastic. And I think the affordability conversation scares a lot of people into thinking they can time the market where you're talking about a decline nationally, Morgan Stanley, you know, making this prediction, the Portland housing market increased over 7%. So far with the numbers we have, it's probably going to be 7% for 2022 now, some markets did decline, but the Portland housing market actually increased in value. Which will sustain that. And as, as time goes, I mean, the other part, I mean, think about how fast rates dropped in March of 2020, right? So the okay. pandemic hit, they, they dropped so fast and went down to the two so fast, they actually went up quicker, you know, when they rose from 2022 from where they were right now. And I think that what had happened is we all know we can go through inflation and we can go through what a recession is and too much dollars in the marketplace. But the Fed just overreacted with the stimulus. And, you know, they're likely overreacting in their, in their quantitative tightening right now, meaning that mortgage rates are they're starting to come down. Look, this isn't going to last forever. The crazy no. part about our industry is we have this biggest short-term memory, I think, of any industry possible, right, David? I mean, we, yeah. we got in this. If everybody thought we were going to have 38% appreciation, sales were going to be at the highest, and interest rates were going to be 2 2.5% for the rest of our career, we all knew it, it wasn't going to be that way. But when it happened, it was like this big surprise. Can you believe rates went up? Can you believe sales are down? This is the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. What is happening in our industry? It's normalizing. It, it just totally wasn't not, a normal. It wasn't a normal market. And not you know, every. Most, not every. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, no, go. I just want to make sure that everybody comes back to the fact that the, you know every economist and the MBA and forecasts and everybody you look at, you know, rates should normalize. I mean, they went up so fast. It's going to normalize in their prediction. And again, I don't want to be the guy who said this is what's going. But the prediction would be you're going to be in the mid fives or fives by the end of next year. So you're you're asking me to predict what's going to go there. Yeah. You get interest rates from you know in the fives or five percent or high fours fives from there. It's a lot easier than saying it's a 7% rate from selling a house at 2.5% to go up that high. And yeah. maybe the payment's not as much as you think, depending on the loan amount. It's all a perception. 
People's Boy. perception is, is they're getting taken advantage of because of either interest rates or the feds. Um, you know, it's, it's a different, it's just a different mindset and perception well, and, and, rules and, so much. And in 2021, 5% would sound terrible. But when you just said 5%, I'm like, oh, that sounds amazing. Right. And at, and at, and at 5%, <laughs> You know, in Portland, we still technically have a housing shortage. We're still technically in a seller's market, even though a lot of people are acting like it's a buyer's market. Like, will that cause some people to stand in line again? I mean, that makes me want to go in even more than I'm already going in on my real estate business to try to take some market share. Right. But I think you're right. So much is perception. And people did expect things to keep getting better and better and better. What I find myself reminding people all the time right now is not every year can be better than the year before. Yeah. You know, well, I uh, also think that we have a huge advantage in in our industry in the sales role because in being in real estate and being, I think the perspective the perspective buyer, even the ones that are sitting on the sidelines, you keep hearing that I'm on the fence, I'm on the sidelines. You know, now to the fear of the emotion. There's one key difference is they all want to own a home, right? Yeah. The product really is already sold, meaning that yeah. they do want to own a home. There's there's no need to convince them in most cases that they should be a homeowner. Most people that are renting right now do want to own. In fact, 90% of Americans want to own a home at some point. The concerns oh, about home prices, mortgage rates, qualifying, it's more that we're holding them back. But they're already sold on the product that we're selling. So if 90% of the people really want the product you're selling, now it's just a perception. And that's the huge advantage we have being in real estate, selling or mortgage space or whatever in the, in the industry as a whole. It's a big yeah. advantage. But well, the there, you know, there's economic utility to owning a home, right? right? Where you hear these people talk about, let's say, the cryptocurrencies or the cost of boats going down or the price of cars or trading cards, things like that. I keep hearing that. Housing prices have to go down because the cost of trading cards went down. What's the economic <laughs> utility to a trading card or to to that extra boat that I don't need? Or like, I'm not a crypto fan, like to, to a cryptocurrency, like there's an economic utility to a house because people need housing. I'm not sure that my neighbor needs to buy my Bitcoin for a little <laughs> bit more than I bought it to make money. I agree with you 100%. I think the, the perception is good. The, the the data, I think that people really, especially in our industry, if we're talking and this is going out to real estate agents, mortgage title, whoever it would be, that we have to kind of follow the data because the market's just simply not as bad as it, it think it is. In fact, it's even it's even forecasted for, you know, better than most people would anticipate it for 2023. And the volume is still going to be high next year. You know, at yeah. least it'll be it's going to be higher than it's been in the last 20 years. You know, it's not going to match 2020 or 2021, but I think that's, you can't take that short-term memory I, I talked about and say that is the norm. That's not the norm. Those were, it was, a, it was unprecedented times. Things were done, good or bad. You could take either side on whatever you want to say, a stimulus checks, money given. I don't, it doesn't matter. But yeah. the purchase, you know, the mortgage, the dollars that are the volume is probably going to be better than it was from 20, uh, 20, 2002 to 2020. So your, your actual production is going to be better than it was up until the fact where it just got wasn't real. It was make-believe time. But if yeah, you but just look at the numbers, the data is your friend. And people have to stay, go a little further back. You can't take 2020 and 2021 and say that is where your bar is. You have to take yeah. it from the normalcy of the markets that were. Now, not the great, you know, not the, what they call the Great Recession or, or, you know, the financial crisis and some. But if you're taking from 2002 – all the way to 2020, it's going to be a better market than it's been in any of those markets there. And that's, in, that's including the ones coming out of, you know, the 09s, 10s, and 11s.
Yeah. I mean, in in your marketplace right now where refinances, things like that have dried up, maybe it's not a choice. But for real estate professionals, I always say being busy or being slow is a choice yeah. because there's always so many transactions. I have so many agents that I coach that have grown their business this year because they just decided like the numbers didn't matter. The market could be down 30% in their area. It doesn't matter. We made a choice to grow because we made a choice to talk to more people. And maybe this is uh, a good transition into what you've done because you've helped build multiple mortgage companies. You've probably one of very few people that some of them have been acquired by public companies. So you have rare experience there. Companies only get acquired if they have profit. They only get acquired if they have a culture of productivity. Right. And that's what I want to talk about. How do you scale a culture of productivity, especially in a marketplace like this, where we don't know if we're going to have a great market next year or if the marketplace is going to go down, however, or sales volume is going to go down, but I, I believe for the people listening, growth or having a declining P&L is a choice. Now, so how do you scale a culture of productivity? Let's kind of go with the first word culture because people, it's, it's such an overused term right now. Um, the culture at Hillshire and the culture at the Manjali Group or whoever, the culture there, um, you know, when people are getting recruited, they say, we have a great culture. I, I don't ever think I've heard anybody say our culture really sucks. I mean, there's no. bad people here and no one really wants to be here. More people are promoting that we're the number five place to work in the United States or this is the number one place to work. Everybody has their own culture and you're attracted to that person's culture. You're not really attracted to the culture. You're attracted to the leadership that's going to get to the culture. So, yeah. you know, there's a lot of people that use the word servant leadership, and that's that's a great way to put it. But I think the real way to put it is when you are building a company or you're looking at a growth pattern and your growth is how can I help the other person succeed more than this company succeed? Because if they succeed, this whole thing succeeds. And yeah. it goes all the way down to the leadership. So when you're looking at leadership and you're looking into people, you know, it's you, you have a, a craft to do it as well. You can see into something and just how they're saying and how they act if they're growth minded. Right. Most people go into scarcity right now. I mean, a market like this, you go into scarcity. How do I not lose what I have? The growth minded people and the people that are building a culture go into how can I use this to leverage to get market share to fulfill for my people? So when you're saying how do you build that the culture and how do you get to a place like that, it attracts the right people. Now, don't get me wrong, I've attracted some wrong people, right? I mean I've been I've do. been in a place I've been in a place where, you know, you're not duped, but you know, unfortunately because we coach people, David, we believe in people more than they believe themselves sometimes. Right. We're yeah. we see something in them and go, you know, no, 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 you don't understand. You're better than you think they are and they're like, Yeah, you're just saying that, I'm not that good. And we end up believing in them more than they believe in themselves. Now you attract you attract those people, but you really end up tracking people that have the like mindedness. And I think to say that one culture is better than how do you attract that? I, I think that everybody has the, a good culture. It's their culture. It's what they believe. And some of it's not good. I mean, there's all cultures out there that take advantage of people. Right? Unfortunately, in real estate, the same thing. You know, it, it, there's multiple companies that you don't care about the buyer, don't care about the seller, don't care about relationships, yeah. care about a turn and burn. And how many transactions can I do at the end of the year to say I'm the number one realtor or I'm the number yeah. one lender or whatever it would be. Then on the other end, you have people that are building relationships not only for that transaction, their kids' transactions, their grandkids' transactions, their brothers or sisters, their aunts, their uncles. This is how I want to do because I want to help as many other people. And it's the greatest quote ever, which is the reason why I'm in speaking in most cases by Zig Ziglar. You can get anything in life you want if you could just help enough people get what they want. 
And it's so true. It's the foundation of any building, the culture word that you just talked about. That's the foundation. Um, so yeah. in a long-winded way, that's that's the part on on that. I think you have to care more about the person's success than sometimes they care about their success. But you're also – when you're looking about – you just said selling a company or building a company – Majority of the time that we've, you know, the two, the two that we've had that get sold to publicly traded company, we've made them where the employee had an option at one point to be part of it. Um, you know, I think that's important too. When you're building something and you know that you're building it, that hopefully it merges or sells or goes into a higher, a higher thing. You want to, you want to bring those people along that have helped you so much. Um, if it's either in an option or if it's in a bonus. Um, you know, most companies end up cashing out and there's three guys that make a lot of money and everybody else goes, it's another job or goes work for the other company, right? Yeah. But you're able to build those people and a relationships to stay with you. If you involve them in the transaction, if you evolve yeah. them saying, you know, this is what we're going to do, but this is how you're going to benefit too. Your production yeah. was based off of all this and you helped me build a company that made it worth what it is. Yeah. And there's that great saying, you know, in most cases, I don't care if you're selling, you're not selling, is that, you know, bad things happen to good companies that aren't profitable, <laughs> right? I, mean, you can, I can have the best culture in the world. If I'm yeah. not profitable, I am sure not looking good to be bought um, unless yeah. it's a fire sale and you're just taking over my leases so I don't go, I don't have to go bankrupt. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a joke. There's a joke with a lot of my friends where uh, they'll be like, oh, Caldwell's going to ask to see your P&L if you start talking about that. <laughs> Because that's important. Profitability is important, right? There was a time where you couldn't be a publicly traded company unless you were profitable. Right. And right. these days, right, if you look at like SPACs and so many companies that have gone public because they pay the fee to get listed on the NASDAQ, right. like it's almost like they're robbing the retail investor, right? Like profitability doesn't matter anymore. Just the hype and the sizzle does. Yeah. But, but profit, but profit's important. But what I heard in all that is, you know, Dan's basically saying, Hey, every company has a good culture and real estate, the real estate industry, we're lovely people. It's an industry of lovely people. You can't succeed unless you're a lovely person. But what he was saying is, Hey, we, as leaders, we see people as better than they see themselves. And then I give them the opportunity to grow and help them see it. Right. And that's how they, they that's just lucky. It's something within us. I think, you know, one of my podcasts in the past that I've talked about when someone asked me the question of, of when did, when did you really think that you had any, I didn't know I had leadership abilities. It was a football coach who told me, Hey, look, man, people are following you and doing stuff and you're doing, you know, you're screwing off. Right. So just stop screwing up my team. And if you want to be a leader, I'll make you a leader, but stop taking them in the wrong direction. Can you take them in the right direction? And there's a lot of leaders that do that as well is that, you know, they end up wanting to, you know, it's a great thing. You want to be friends with all your people, but you still have to lead them. And people want to pull you down yeah. to do the things that they're doing. Um, but that sometimes you have to, there's a fine line between being their friend and also helping them succeed. Yeah. I, I do think that people do join teams, like you said, or organizations for leadership. In real estate, a lot of times we think it's leads. But one of the things I find myself saying a lot to people that I coach is people are joining our teams for leadership, not leads, but then we're giving them friendship. And well, you, have a dynamic, you have a dynamic that's 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 awesome. I mean, the dynamic that you have of people that are working for you and recruit, there is this I mean, then forget the culture. It's a team aspect. You have team meetings and you're you're a, a phenomenal coach at a high level. So not only do they get like the, the leads are one thing, but how, what do you do with them? And I think that's where we we miss it in our business. 
I'm not to hijack what you were saying, but I really want to get this out is that we missed the part that buying leads and getting leads or just how, how facilitating leads, that is the smallest portion because anybody can do that. And he can yeah. pay money to realtor.com, to Zillow, to whoever, truly, whoever yeah. it is and get leads. The key to the leads is what do I do when I get the lead? How do yeah. I talk to the people? What do I say? How do I cultivate it? How do I keep incubate this lead for a year and a half? I mean, you could probably tell me a story four or five years that you stayed in contact with people. How do you do that right to build a relationship when they're ready to buy or sell a home? They're calling you. You've got yeah. to get out of the mindset that it's a lead because anybody can do that. What anybody yeah. can't do is sit down with you and be on a call once a week and specifically say, this is what you do. And now let's talk about how you do it. Let's tweak it. Here's how to overcome objections. Here, here's how to get overcome the difficulties because it's not easy. Making phone calls to people that don't want to talk to you is not easy to make them yeah. feel like you have a relationship. But it's not a one-shot, one-kill. It's more conversations. It's more relationships. It's more things to put into it than you're going to get out of it. And yeah. just not to toot your horn, but it's one thing that you're really big on is it's just not the lead. I mean, you buy the lead and give you leads, but what do you do with it when you have the lead? That's the key yeah. in how to build relationships. Well, they're, they're, you hear so often, let's use Zillow as an example. People are like, Zillow totally works for me. Some of the biggest teams in the country, their number one lead source is Zillow. It works. And then there's Joe Blow agent, new team leader over here that says <laughs> Zillow leads don't work. Well, there's people that know how to work online leads and there's people yeah. that don't, yeah. right? And the people that don't, rather than finding the answer of how do we help this segment of the market that decided to press the button to talk to an agent instead of getting a referral, how do we help, how do we build a relationship with that person and help them with their purchase? Right. You know, I have an agent on my team who answered a Zillow call yesterday who's making an offer on a property today that's likely to get accepted and will list their home. Now, that person hasn't transacted. They've been in their house for about 30 years. Clearly, I, I would almost guarantee they know a real estate agent. That real estate agent that they know did not teach them or train them to know, if you have questions about the real estate market, let me know. I'll be here for you. Because the silence is hard for people. And our job as real estate professionals is to remind people we're available. The consumer's job isn't to tell us that they're not ready yet. But now an agent on my team you know, is going to have a purchase and a sale because we have a business relationship with Zillow and that consumer felt like the best way to go see a house was to go on an app and press a button. Yeah. Right now she's trained. She knows what to say. She's confident about the real estate market. And she did come from another real estate company where she wasn't as confident before. Right. And, you know, going to, going to servant leadership or helping people be better and being a leader, not just a friend. Cause I'm good at being both. I want to be both. Right. It is believing that people are better than where they're at, but a lot of times to get better, they need the education. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, that's learning how to overcome objections. Cause there's everybody's going to have a jet. If someone calls me right now to sell me anything, the first thing I do is they're, I'm going to have an objection. Right. I mean, you walk into a store, if people still do that, there's there's the buildings. Some of them say Nordstrom's on them. It just isn't a button on your phone that says Amazon. But some people yeah. still walk into stores and most of your salespeople are going to walk up and say, can I help you? And the first thing people are going to say is I'm just looking, which yeah. is crazy to me because you're in that store. No one's going to go into their car, park their car, walk into a store 
just to look around. Most people, maybe no. I, I'm just saying that if I'm going to do that, I'm going there for a reason. But if someone walks yeah. up to me and says, can I help you? I don't want to be sold. So you have to feel like there's a value at it. Someone wants to walk up to me and I'm in the men's section and they were to say, you know, you look like a, you're, if you're looking at men's shirts, you're, you know, 32, 33, length 32. Um, it's over on the left. If you have any questions, give me, you know, I'll be over here. Now you just added value in such a quick portion that I know where I'm going. Because most of the time when we go somewhere, we're a little bit lost. But we don't want to be sold. And yeah. in real estate, it's just the same. I think that people feel like they don't want to make those calls that you're talking about because, the, like you said, they know a realtor, but that realtor didn't stay in touch because their mindset is, well, if they're going to sell, they'll call me. We're friends or I've sold them three houses and it's been three years, but I don't want to bother them. I, how many times you hear that? Like, what am I going to say this time? I feel like I'm bothered if I'm calling them again this week. There's so much value in our business each week. So much changes. Just a phone call to say, hey, just want to let you know that the Fed's increased rates 50% rather than three-quarters of a percent. doesn't affect long-term rates, but I'm just calling to give you an update. The home next door sold for X amount, the home down the street. Every week, there's a reason to make a phone call of value. But don't just call to say you're looking to buy or sell because that's not going to help. What you're going to call is something of value. Yeah. And that's just you, the communication, the short communications, as you talk about so much, David, in your coaching, which is so important. Those are just the small pieces of communication to stay into to build a relationship yeah. because then they're going to well, ask you a question. But what's funny is, you know, you're, you've been in this business for almost 40 years. Well, come on, that 36, you rounded 36. up. How, 36. You're make me even older now, man. It's okay. But. But you could have you could have gone to so many different ways to try to stay in touch with people, and you went to a basic conversation about rate. Like that was your default. Like that's what's habitual, right? Like that that the habit the habit wasn't I'm gonna go throw them this big party dinner party, have people come over and try to win their business without asking. You know, it was I'm gonna call them, I'm gonna talk to them what this rate change means to them. Right. Hey, the house down the street sold. Do you want to talk about what that means to the value of your home? I was just on a call with a guy that I coach who does a lot of business in your area. Um, you know, over 300 million in sales this year, over 100 transactions in Costa Mesa, Newport Beach. So, you know, a big time agent. And I had to remind him that you don't get what you expect. You get what you ask for. Yeah. Right. Like you're you're doing these things, expecting referrals or expecting people are going to work with you. They don't even know that you have the time to work with them. You're yeah. making that assumption. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's that little piece. Sometimes it's those calls that you were talking about. Sometimes, especially right now, there's hey, damn, there's so much uncertainty in the market. Yeah. If you had any questions about the real estate market, I just wanted to let you know that I'm available to answer those questions. Right. I, and if all it is, is that that's the reminder that I want to work with you. That's just as good as saying I want to work with you. It's a home relationship business. And we were talking prior to this, to this getting on uh, the podcast, David, just the, the amount of people that are using technology thinking that that's, what they're, that's the way of the future. It's all technology. Technology helps our industry. It doesn't, it doesn't take away. It's helped us with a lot of different things of pinpointing the data correctly. But still, people want to work with people they know and trust. 
I don't, yeah. if you're buying a car or you're buying whatever it is, I mean, even if you go to Amazon, you still read the reviews. I mean, if, if you're yeah. smart enough on a product that unless you haven't used it, you still read the reviews because now you feel like, okay, I've read 15 of them and one of them was bad, but 14 were good. At least I feel like I can trust. You make a decision based off an emotion because now you have this relationship with that either company or seller because someone else is telling you it's okay. It's almost like a referral on an app. Yeah. And that's yeah. still a relationship. And we, we lose that, that sales are made because of relationships and trust. People want to work with people they know and trust. And it's our job, if we consider ourselves salespeople, to have them know and trust us. If you are a person of trustworthiness, right? But yeah. I'm sure everybody listening to your podcast well, is trustworthy. And, you, and, using, and, and using that word trust, right? If we go back to online leads, people go to Zillow because they trust the platform, regardless of what we think of of their data as an industry, the consumer trusts the platform, that trust transfers to the real estate professional if they handle that transfer perfectly, right? Or if they yeah. handle it appropriately. And if we, if Zillow could automate the process, let's be honest, they would. Right. They have billions of dollars and right. they can't automate the process. Right. And what's really funny is you have you know, real estate agents with a hundred thousand dollar budget thinking they're going to automate the process with their $36 a month CRM. It just can't happen. Right. That's this, right. this is a relationship business. You have to get on the phone. You have to talk to people. You have to give them a reason why to choose you. And you have to let them know you're available to be chosen yeah. because People know eight of us, right? Like I always joke that everyone knows eight real estate agents. How many mortgage brokers do you think everybody oh my everybody gosh, knows? Right, way more than eight. Right? And then they can go to their bank on this corner, and they can go to that bank well, on that and, corner, and, and they can go to that bank on that corner. Yeah, yeah. I we're we're in a we're in a different time. I mean, obviously, when we said thirty six years ago, things things were different, but still the same. Um, for me, when people are saying like, the technology is killing our industry, it's it's helping it tremendously to be a little bit more exact on how on who I'm going to sell to. I mean, I, I yeah. mean, it's so much better to know if I'm going to actually call on someone or build my business of the people that are actually like-minded than just shotgunning approaching because I have no data on anybody. So yeah. the, the technology is helping our industry yeah. leaps and bounds. I think that what, what excites me and I'll keep going back to, you know, and why this is a good time because most people are still in the perception is you got, you know, it's going to be a big time here because the median age for, for first-time home buyers, which is probably 34, you know, that population is going to be in steady demand. I mean, there's millions, and I hate the word millennial, but whatever, are going to age yeah. into the critical age. So that's going to be the biggest population wave ever, you know, for most homes on sale, uh, to be sold. And, you know, I think that our industry – I don't care if it's to, into a loan officer, realtor, title, whatever it is. We get so emotional when things, when things change. I mean, people don't like change. Change equals stress and uncertainty, which, again, I can't say this and I speak about it, but it's necessary for us to grow. If anybody thinks about the biggest change in their life, most of them will say, That's, I am who I am because of that happening, good or bad. Some people don't get out of it. Like, I blame my mom, my divorce, whatever it is. You know, I am who I am because that happened. Or people will say, like, I am who I am because that happened to me, because I had to figure out a way, because I had to push myself. And our industry is emotional when things don't work perfectly. But it's the true professional that ends up doubling down in this time, who doubles down on their, on their, their own abilities. They double down on the market. They double down on market share. 
because this is a market share play. The more people you're talking to now, because people are thinking like, I don't want to talk to anybody now. The market, what am I going to say to them? Values might go down. They might go up. Rates are high. This is the time you build relationships. This is the actual planting of the seed relationship time to do so. And I think that those that are engaged in more consistent sales activities to bring value and that key value word, you know, and added concepts are going to be the ones to help motivate this market and actually do better on the other side. Yeah, I, I a thousand percent agree with you. And on doubling down, I mean, in my own business, I think we have quadrupled our marketing budget. Yeah. But if you're on my team, I'm telling you guys got to make the calls. You got to make the calls. Yeah. You got to make the calls because I'm trying to warm up the conversations with the marketing. Right. But it's so important for my agents to know what's really going on, you know, going back to the data. But this is a marketplace where we can go take market share. This is a marketplace where we can grow and maybe take some great agents that don't have direction that are underperforming and put them onto our team and give them opportunities they otherwise wouldn't have. Right. Teach them to fish, but then also put some fish in their pond to a certain extent. Um this is going to be a marketplace for professionals and technology. I think technology is just going to make the best better, right? It's going to make us more efficient. Yeah. We yeah. can use technology to operationalize our sales teams. because That's still what we have. This is still a sales business. Um, we're probably not going to use technology to automate it, right? When I can, when I can go, if, when I need a therapist, I probably need one now, who knows? Um, when I need a therapist and I can go to Google, I've got a mortgage I, co- I, I, uh, a relationship coach. I don't call it therapy. I call it, you know, my coach that I go to a relationship coach. <laughs> but yeah, I can give me some recommendations. Sure. As coaches or therapists, when we can go to Google and go onto a screen and not talk to somebody, I'll believe we can do the same with our real estate transaction. Right. But until then, it's just way too emotionally complex. Yeah. It's just too much of an emotionally complex transaction because it's not completely financial, right? There's an economic utility. No one wants to buy a house and lose money tomorrow. But this this transaction is not just about dollars and cents, right? Mm-hmm. It is very emotionally complex. It's where we like make memories and it's where we raise our families and it's where we go to sleep at night. And it has a, it dictates a lot of like our happiness, to be honest. Like it, if you live somewhere you don't like, you will not be happy. You no. live somewhere you love, like you're going to be happier and perform better. And agreed. And your whole lifestyle is going to be completely different. And what you think, something that, you know, you brought up about sales and people being in sales, you know, life doesn't always go as planned. I don't know about you, but when I was, you know, eight, I didn't say I was going to run mortgage companies and coach people and, and write books and stuff. You know, I wanted to be a football player. So life didn't go with, you know, I'm five foot nothing, a hundred nothing. It doesn't really equate that much, but you, it doesn't go as planned. So somewhere along the line, I know your story or you're behind a bar or whatever it is. Someone got you to a place where you decided specifically, this is what I'm going to choose to do. And then whatever happened, you ended up loving it, enjoying it or whatever it would be. I think everybody has to remember you, you might not have been, you know, asking Santa Claus for a gold jacket to, to you know, at six to say, I'm going to join century 21. I just dated myself, David, back in the day, everybody at century 21 wore gold jackets. And that's I love it. You knew they were realtors, but again, dated myself quite a bit, but no, that's not what you thought in yourself, but somehow, some way someone got you into this industry. And I want to make sure everybody understands if this is what you chose, why not do a great, if this is the, the choice that you made, because trust me, football was not going to work long-term for me. So if I chose to do this and this is what I chose to do, why would I do it half ass? Why would I choose to do it only when the market's good? 
Why would I choose to only do it when it's easy? Being in sales is not easy. I'm not going to, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It seems so simple. And I have talked about this many times that, you know, it's simple to tell someone, look, you just make calls, you knock on doors, you call once a week, you have a CRM and you want and repeat it once a week. Sounds so simple. It doesn't mean it's easy. It's simple, but not easy. It's simple to give all the facts on things that you need to do in sales, but it's not easy. The fear of actually having to talk to someone that you don't know or convince them in some way that they should trust you because you're a trustworthy person, it's not easy to do. And that's the separation of the people that are willing to embrace the fact that this is the career they chose. Yeah, you had a whole bunch of careers to choose from, but this is the one you chose. So either you do it great or choose another career where you feel passionate enough to do it great. And it's a harsh thing to say, but we have a lot of people in our industry that want to work hard when it's easy, when stuff, when the rain is falling and all you need is a bucket rather than having to shake a stick to make it rain. There's a whole different perspective there. I think that's where we miss it. So if this is the, if this is the career you chose, do it great. I do it half-assed. There's no better way to end this podcast than with that, than with that little rant. So Dan, if people want to, if people, if people, if people want to listen to you more, you have your podcast. I'm yes. going to link it below. But why not, tell awesome. them a little bit about your podcast. Um, tell them how to get in touch with you. And sure, then we'll multiple ways. So my podcast, as you can see behind me, it's WTF. A little play on words. Where's the focus? Um, it's a premise of where you know. Where your focus goes, your energy flows. What you put more focus on, your energy is going to go that way. Like in real estate right now, if you focus on all the things that, you know, it's going to decline 7% rather than your focus being that it went up 38%, it's where your energy is going to go and have that. So you can go to anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, you can go to YouTube, you can go to Spotify, you can anyhow, however you listen to podcasts, but WTF and type in Where's the Focus and you'll see my mug. And then once a week, I do a podcast uh, every Tuesday. On uh, just either I have guests on. I've had some great athletes. I've had some live golfers, some PGA pro golfers, had some soccer athletes, people on just to take the idea of, look, no matter what career you're in, where your, where your energy, you know, your focus goes, your energy flows. Uh, you can go to Manginelli group.com, M-A-N-G-I-N-E-L-L-I group, G-R-O-U-P.com. You can purchase books there. You can find some short videos and different things I do on there. Um, and, or you can email me and ask me any questions you want at Dan at Manginelli group.com. And if not, just Google, there's a whole bunch of information on what, on stuff you can get from me. Well, I appreciate it. And for you listening, if you like this episode, share it, like it, subscribe. We'll see you next time.